On today's show, we are talking about one of the most unique scenes in film history. That's a big claim, but when you think about it, the Avengers Endgame portals scene, if you're familiar with that, comes from the movie Avengers Endgame. It is where all of the heroes show back up to help Cap, Thor, and Tony fight Thanos. That is one of the most unique scenes in film history. I'll explain why, and we'll get into a little bit more about how the writers approached this scene, how the directors interpreted that scene, and what we got in our final um, process there. I also want to go over a little bit about how the writing was done, what we can learn from the storytelling in this scene so that we can write scenes just like it. Now, it is going to be rare that if you're a screenwriter or a writer in general, that you're going to be able to write a scene like this, and that's one of the reasons it makes it such a unique scene. Not many people have written scenes like this in the history of television or in the history of film or in the history of prose or storytelling. There are a few, but there's not very many. My name is Jay Shear. This is How Stories Work with Jay Shear. And it's been a while since I've podcasted. I have, if you've ever heard of the uh, COVID long hauler group, I happen to fall into that group. I've had complications from COVID that uh, have affected my heart, which then affects my ability to do things because I get really tired really fast, but I'm improving. I am happy to do a podcast today and we will jump right into it with Avengers Endgame. Um, I do want to let you guys know, though, before I jump into it, that the purpose of this podcast will be to learn as much as we can about storytelling, whether it's screenwriting, whether it's writing, whether it's just the process of creating films. So I want to talk to a lot of other writers. I want to talk to other screenwriters. I want to talk to directors. I want to talk to literary managers. Those are the folks that I'm looking to talk to so that I understand and you understand the process of writing and also the business of writing so that we can create and sell all of our stuff. So hopefully you'll join me on this quest to figure out more about these things and I'll have more guests in the future and be able to interview them. But today we're talking about Avengers Endgame and the portal scene. I studied that scene so that I could come up with some storytelling principles for you but also just so that we can understand what does this scene look like on paper, okay? So part of this podcast is gonna be actually me reading the screenplay to you, so just be aware of that. Before we get into that, I wanna talk about why this scene is so unique, so that when we read it, we can extract more information from it. The first reason that this film, or this scene in this film, is so unique is that it is the culmination of 21 films that came before it. In the Marvel Cinematic Universe, 21 films were made before Avengers Endgame was made. And it just so happens that all of those films were leading up to the Avengers Endgame conclusion. That is almost unmatched in the film world. The only franchises that I can think of that even come close are franchises like Star Wars, Harry Potter, Fast and the Furious. You can make an argument for that. You can make an argument for James Bond, but that's a little bit more episodic storytelling, whereas the MCU is more serial storytelling. The difference between the two is that episodic storytelling, the content exists on its own, so the film is, is not meant to be viewed as a sequence of films, but rather a standalone film. Serial storytelling builds on top of whatever came before it, so obviously the MCU falls into that serial storytelling category. James Bond is really more episodic. There's some serial pieces to James Bond, but uh, not a lot of them. 
So the only other mediums that have a similar possibility of getting to this kind of scene, the Avengers Endgame portals scene, are industries like novels and television. Why do I say that? Well, in television, you might have 26 episodes of something before you a scene pays off. Um, you might have eight seasons of something before a scene pays off. Uh, in the novel world, you know, people write multiple novels and may go on to write. I mean, Brandon Sanderson, <laughs> that guy's written, like I don't know how many dozens of novels. So you can get to this kind of scene with those kind of, with that kind of writing, whether it's television or prose. But in the film world, this is incredibly unique to get this kind of payoff. Now, the other thing that makes uh, Avengers Endgame and the portal scene so unique is that this film as a whole, Avengers Endgame, had a production budget of over $300 million. Now, just to put that in context, there are only over a dozen or so films that have budgets over $300 million, and that's when you adjust for inflation. There's about 14 of them, but those 14 exist only when you factor in inflation. So if you go back, for example, and you look at some of the films that were made in the 80s or even before that, and then you adjust what people paid to make those films for inflation, there's still only 14 that have actually made it onto the list of that qualify for over 300 million. Now, if you take out the inflation, if you take out adjusting for inflation, there's like a handful. <laughs> there's not very many. 300 million is an insane budget when you talk about filmmaking. 99.9% .9 of films do not get this kind of budget. And so as you think about that, you think about, okay, this is a scene that is built on 21 movies that came before it. And then the film that it's in is a, had a budget of over $300 million. We're already talking about a ridiculously unique scene to occur in this kind of context. The other thing that makes this scene unique is the star power. So when you talk about the MCU, there are a lot of stars in the MCU. But when you talk about putting them all in one scene, <laughs> that makes everything even more crazy. I mean, think about Kevin Feige having to wrangle all of these stars, deal with all of their schedules, pay all of them to show up and be in this movie. Most of these people have blockbuster movies already under their belt, whether it was in the MCU or in another franchise. These Getting these kind of people to show up to a giant movie set where you're going to be filming this one scene is really insane. Now, does it mean that they were all there at the same time? Not necessarily. You know, movie magic, you can film certain pieces of certain things at different times and things like that. So it doesn't mean that they were all in the same room at the same time, but still they had to show up within the few weeks of one another likely. So pretty insane that all of these people are showing up in this particular scene. The last thing that makes this scene and Avengers Endgame as a whole really so unique is that it is actually built on a legacy of comics that came before it. So comics is another, um, comic books are another uh, medium where you might see this kind of payoff, right? Because we've had so many stories that came before. And Avengers Endgame is built off a lot of those stories as well. And of course, there was a comic um, called the Infinity Gauntlet. And in that, in that comic, it's kind of a similar battle between the Avengers and Thanos. There's some major differences, which I've covered before on previous shows and on previous videos. Uh, but it's pretty insane. So again... 
This is one of the most unique scenes that we have ever seen in film history for the reasons that I just stated. Now, not a lot of people have written those kinds of scenes. So it's kind of interesting for to me to look at this and go, okay, well, what how did the writers approach writing this writing this scene? It is one of the most unique scenes in film history. So how do you approach that? How do how does one go about writing a scene that very few people, if anybody, has written similarly before. And then what can we learn from that, even if we don't have 21 films preceding what we're writing? How can we learn from that if we're writing a screenplay, if we're writing a book, whatever we're doing? How can we learn from the portal scene and what Marcus and McFeely, um, Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely, what did, what did they do to write this scene that made it so unique? And what are some of the lessons that we can take away? I want to get into that. Before I do that, though, I do want to read to you what the script actually sounds like. This is the actual script. Sometimes it's kind of hard to find scripts online. It can be kind of difficult. And, and by the way, there are multiple versions of scripts. There are shooting scripts. There are original drafts. There are different kinds of um, scripts are, scripts go through different iterations uh, based on what's needed from the film production. It can be kind of hard to find these scripts online, but fortunately for us, Avengers Endgame is easy enough to find. Now, I should also let you know that I did two videos that are appearing on YouTube. If you're listening to this right when the podcast came out, then one of them is probably already out. Another one's going to come out soon. Um, you can actually see the script if you go and watch the videos and I actually have one where I actually show the scene as well. So I have one talking about how unique the scene is and I, and I play the scene, um, not in its, you know, uh, totality. I break it up a little bit, but then I do read from the script as well. So if you want to sit in front of a screen and watch and read along, you can do so over on the how stories work YouTube channel. But if you're cool with just listening, I'm going to read the screenplay to you and uh, we'll tackle it. So uh, the slug line that starts all of this out is exterior, Avengers compound, crater, and this is during the day. Steve slashes at Thanos. The Titan brutally bats him aside. Thor attacks, but Thanos drives him through walls of debris. Thanos smashes his fist into Thor's face over and over. Thor calls Stormbreaker, but Thanos intercepts it. He presses the blade into Thor's chest, trying to drive it home. Then, across the field, Milanir rises into the air. Thanos grins, about to finish Thor off, when Milanir flies in, knocking the axe out of his hand. Follow the hammer as it flies back to the only other man worthy enough to wield it, Steve Rogers. Half-conscious, Thor sees Steve holding Milanir. Thor... I knew it. Steve attacks, cracking Thanos in the jaw. Thanos tumbles. Before the Titan can get up, Steve calls down the lightning and sends it crackling into Thanos' body. Steve leaps, trying to finish Thanos off, but Thanos rolls aside, headbutting Steve backwards. Thanos gets to his feet, a faint smile on his face. He whips off his helmet and attacks Steve with his blade, blow after blow. It's all Steve can do to get his shield up. Thanos hacks the shield to pieces, finally knocking Steve across the field. Steve lies beaten, half a shield still attached to his arm. Thanos, in all my years of conquest, Thanos looks out at the tiny human struggling to stand. Thanos continued, of violence and slaughter, it was never 
personal. Thanos gestures behind him as a rumble echoes. Thousands of aliens ring the lip of the crater. The Black Order leads a platoon of Chitari, Sakarans, and Outriders, Thanos continued. But I'll tell you now, the things I'm about to do to your stubborn, annoying little planet. Q-ships, dropships, necrocraft, and leviathans buzz above, Thanos continued. I'm going to enjoy it very, very much. Steve stares at Thanos and his army, and even in the face of such overwhelming odds, he gets to his feet. Thanos stares, almost sad, as Steve tightens the broken shield on his arm and starts walking toward him. One man against thousands, all alone. But just then, Steve's calm crackles. He strains to hear. The calm crackles again. We can make out a muffled voice. Muffled voice on calm. App, calm, op. Steve shakes his head, trying to clear it. Slowly, the sound returns, and the words ring clear. Sam Wilson, off screen. Cap, on your left. Pull back to see a portal opening in the distance. Out of it flies Sam Wilson. Steve watches Sam soar over the field and then turns as even more portals open. From one, Doctor Strange, Peter Quill, Drax, Mantis, Peter Parker, and Kraglin and the Ravagers. From another, T'Challa, Okoye, Shuri, M'Baku, Wanda, Bucky, Groot, and the Wakandan army. From a third, Valkyrie, Korg, Meek, and an Asgardian Asgardian army. From a fourth, Pepper Potts in rescue armor, Hope Van Dyne, and Wong leading a group of sorcerers. Thor gets to his feet, calling Stormbreaker to his hand as Tony regains consciousness, staring out at the cavalry. Wong and Strange quickly find each other. Doctor Strange, is that everyone? Wong, you wanted more? Just then, the ground shakes and rubble explodes upward as Giant Man bursts from below. Scott Lang, top four, everybody out. He opens his huge hand, releasing Rocket, Smart Hulk, and Rhodey, now in his cosmic Iron Patriot armor. Steve takes in his reinforcements, then stares out at Thanos. Pan across our heroes as Steve calls Millenier to his hand. Avengers, assemble. And that's basically the end of that particular scene, although it goes on, they have a giant battle. And there's little moments in the battle that are really cool too, so we might get into that a little bit about all these little moments that are written into the screenplay that let the directors know, like, we need to capture this shot so that everybody gets their little moment when they're coming out of these portals. In all in all, it's a fantastic scene. It is a masterpiece of a scene, and it's really interesting what we can learn from the writing. So um, let's talk about that a little bit. What are the things that we can learn from Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely as we as screenwriters or writers or just fans of film, what can we learn from them that would showcase to us how we might do the same or how might we might look at other material and see if it was written well in the first place? Well, the first thing I think we can learn is that there is a critical importance to foreshadowing and understanding where characters are in their arcs. What has come before? What is going to come next? What exactly is going on here? Captain America, after getting pummeled by Thanos, this goes back even into before we started reading, 
uh, before I started reading that particular scene because that's the portal scene. But before that happens, Thor, Tony, and Cap are all in a fight with Thanos. And Thanos is winning. Thanos is is just beating the crap out of all of them, right? Um, he, he, We saw in this scene that uh, Thanos, you know, after after Steve calls Millionaire to himself, uh, he's able to kind of knock Thanos down. But then Thanos gets up and then completely demolishes Cap's shield. He basically takes it down into a half of a shield. <laughs> but the important thing here is that um, right before the portals open, what does Captain America do in that moment? What does Steve Rogers do in that moment? Well, he gets back up. And that there's a, the line in the screenplay is actually italicized. He gets back up, or he gets back to his feet, I believe is what it says. And so that is that moment is foreshadowed by Steve's character arc going all the way back, going all the way back to the beginning of Steve's character journey. Because the first time we saw Steve, he was getting up after fighting bullies when he was not a super soldier. He's a skinny kid who kept getting beat up, but he would still stand back up. When he was in the military, he would still stand back up. He dove on the on the grenade even. Steve continues to stand up for what's right, um, metaphorically, and actually, <laughs> um, throughout the course of his journey, there's the uh, "I could do this all day" line, right? So he, so, so Steve will eventually stand up to the U.S. government. He will eventually stand up to Tony, um, and now, in the culmination of this character journey, he's going to step up to the person who has already beat them in Infinity War. Thanos already beat them, and uh, Tony, uh, Steve's standing back up to him, knowing that he's even more powerful than he was before. He doesn't have the Infinity Gauntlet, by the way, but it just shows how powerful Thanos is. Thanos takes out Steve, Tony, and Thor, and he doesn't even have the Gauntlet yet. Steve getting back up, that is foreshadowed and part of Steve's character arc from the minute that he's brought on screen that he gets back up. So this is a really powerful moment. Now the directors take that line that's just italicized in the script. Here, I'll read you the exact line so that we're all on the same page. Steve stares at Thanos and his army. He's currently on the ground. And even in the face of such overwhelming odds, he gets to his feet. So there's the line. That line is italicized. And just to show you kind of what the screenplay looks like, it's, and even in the face of such overwhelming odds, dot, 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 italicized, he gets to his feet. That is part of Steve's character arc. The directors take that and they, if you look at it, what they do is they know that that's a moment, probably because they had conversations with Marcus and McFeely, but it's just the one paragraph in this, in this giant screenplay. So this is a really cool moment, but so that, that's, a, that's an important thing. Marcus and McFeely write that in. It fits with Cap's character and it's been foreshadowed as probably likely to happen based on um, his journey throughout the MCU. The other part of this that was awesome is Cap wields Millionaire, something that he couldn't do if he wasn't willing to get back up and something that was definitely foreshadowed all the way back in Age of Ultron when they were all trying to lift uh, Thor's hammer and Steve was the only one that got it to kind of budge. <coughs> now, there's a couple things to talk about in regards to Cap wielding Millionaire because one is it proves that Cap is worthy. Now, would Cap be worthy if he didn't get back up? Probably not. So we know where Cap has come from on his character journey, and we know where he's at now. 
And he may have gotten Milanir to move in Age of Ultron, but now that he's gone through his full character arc and we're closing out his story effectively with Avengers Endgame, now he's fully worthy. And uh, so um, it's a really great moment. And the way that it's talked about in the script is that Milanir starts to float and then it comes back after, and it comes back towards Thanos. We don't know that it's going towards Steve because it lo- it just goes going towards Thanos. But then eventually Steve calls it back to himself the first time. And then he calls it back to him again and then he fights with Milanir the rest of the battle while uh, Thor fights with Stormbreaker. So again, a moment that's foreshadowed all the way back in Age of Ultron, mo- like multiple movies ago. I mean, how many movies was that? Probably 10, 11, 12 movies ago, maybe more. So that moment would be cool, but it's also a culmination of Thor's character journey because in Age of Ultron, Thor was worried about Cap being able to wield Millenier. Now, why is that? Because Thor has always had problems with self-esteem and not realizing that he is worthy. So now he knows, having gone through what he went through in an Infinity War um, and trying to get back uh, to normal, um, normal meaning he feels better about himself because he's obviously very depressed with his failure. He's still been worthy this whole time, but now he can celebrate the fact that Cap is also uh, worthy. He doesn't have to. He doesn't have to assume that Cap is suddenly somehow better than him because he can wield Millenier. Now Thor actually celebrates by saying, "I knew it." Um, when Cap gets the, when Cap gets the hammer. Um, now, I already mentioned this earlier, but one of the other things that's really important to note here is that so we've already talked about foreshadowing. We've already talked about knowing where the characters are in their character arcs. There's one other thing that is consistent throughout um, Avengers uh, Endgame, and that is that the stakes always get higher. So this Thanos is insanely, insanely strong. Uh, he knows. So not only is he, and it happens in the dialogue. You heard me read his dialogue. In the dialogue, he says, this wasn't personal for me. It was just about me trying to accomplish a goal. What was the goal that he was trying to accomplish? He was trying to uh, essentially wipe out half of um, sentient populations across the universe. And he did so when he got the Infinity Gauntlet. Now, as he has this dialogue with Steve and Thor and Tony, but primarily Steve, he's telling Steve, like, you know, it wasn't personal, but you guys made it personal. You guys made me have to get tougher. You made me have to show up with all of my armies because Earth is too annoying and I can't let anybody stay alive in Earth. And um, and that's really instructive about raising the stakes. So now even Thanos, who has learned what happened um, in the alternate timelines, now is like, well, I'm not going to let you win because this is I have a goal, but like you're even worse than the goal almost because you're going to try and prevent me from getting there. So the the stakes are increased. Thanos comes out and he's much tougher, um, even without having the Infinity Gauntlet, which is pretty amazing and is a good bit of writing because we have already seen them fight Thanos. So we need to give Thanos an increased stakes of not achieving his goal. And then the Avengers have an increased stakes of not achieving them their goal because Thanos is fighting back harder than he ever has before. Probably the best moment, maybe the best moment in the MCU, although there's probably so many great moments in the MCU that you might disagree with the statement. But... I would argue that it's a it's a fantastic piece of writing 
And that is when Sam radios Steve to say, on your left. Now, the reason why I think this is so great is because, again, that line means not a lot <laughs> um, if we don't have all of the movies and TV shows that came before Endgame. So why is that? I guess it's just movies. I don't think anything TV shows came before Endgame. But there's a couple. There's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and things like that. Agent Carter. But why is that line so special in this context? First of all, it is completely reliant upon subtext and us understanding the subtext. Because the line is not a one-for-one repeat of what happened before. Let's travel back to Captain America, the Winter Soldier. That line on your left was delivered by Cap every time he lapped Sam. On your left, soldier. <laughs> he just kept lapping him. And Sam was getting increasingly frustrated. So that line was used in the context of Sam not feeling like he was as strong as Cap, feeling a little bit like he was humiliated by Cap. Um, it was a friendly rivalry, so he wasn't like he was you know, being a jerk to him or anything like that. But Sam was taking that line very, very different. The reason why it's so powerful here is that that was like a friendly rivalry where it seemed as if Cap was the super strong one. But now Sam is using that line to mean something far more. On your left doesn't mean I am lapping you anymore. On your left means, Cap, you're not alone. We're all here. We've got your back. Uh, and it's fantastically repurposed. I mean, that is a brilliant line to repurpose when we know the subtext. And even if you don't know the subtext, I think that line still works, but it's probably a lot less powerful. You need to know the subtext for why that line is so impactful. It's someone telling their friend, you used to tell me this when we were competing, but now I'm telling you this to tell you, you're my buddy and I've got you and we've all got you, everybody who's showing up now. And then of course all the portals start to open up and that's a just a brilliant, brilliant scene. Now, the culmination of the MCU up until that point is really Steve Rogers saying Avengers assemble. Perfect call back to the comic books upon which these stories are based. That's what Cap would say when he wanted to get the Avengers rallied together and, and attacking somebody or saving somebody or whatever it was. That line is delivered really interestingly because uh, in the script, it's just written as Avengers dot, 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 assemble. And I don't know how many takes they did. I don't know how many options that they tried. But you'll notice that in the film itself, Cap actually says Avengers assemble. And it's kind of a, almost a whisper or a, he doesn't say it very loud. Uh, anyone, anyone in that scene probably could not even hear him say it. Uh, but, of course, we hear him say it because the camera's right in his face. The I don't know if they had more where they yelled out and like oh assemble and they and they go fight, but there's something pretty powerful about Cap saying, "Wow, I just got beat up, and now I'm going to stand back up and face off against Thanos and all of my all of my friends and Avengers family are here with me." So I think that worked really really well. Now there are a few scenes here too that kind of that would kind of in my opinion end the end the um, Avengers Assemble kind of portals scene. The Avengers Assemble and then them rushing together in battle is sort of the end of that scene. Now, in the script, it's written out further, so there's more action that happens after that. And there are some moments that are written after that that are built upon the understanding that Marcus and McFeely have about where the audience is at and what they want to see. 
And those subsequent scenes that come after it are pretty powerful. Because if you remember back, one of the things that was super impactful to everybody uh, in Infinity War, most of the Avengers, was that they had to see all of their friends get dusted. And so there was this like devastating moment where everybody was gone and Thanos had won. And they have not seen, most of the people in this scene have not seen the return of those characters. And the portal scene is the return of those characters. And they're coming, obviously, they're being time-traveled there because um, because that's, that's the whole plot of how do we bring everybody back so we can actually face off against Thanos. Brilliantly plotted out there, too, which is really cool. And they don't treat, they treat time travel in a fun way. It's not like it gets out of control. So all that works really well. Um, but what works amazingly well is what happens after the Avengers assemble. They're all fighting together, and they're all realizing that they get to see each other again. Now, there is some differences in this scene because in this scene, um, the people who are time traveling don't necessarily know how devastating <laughs> the um, the Thanos snap was, right? So for example, the first time that Peter Parker sees Tony, which is one of the best moments, um, he starts saying this, this whole thing about what's happened to him and how crazy it is, and then Tony just just stops him and just hugs him, right? Uh, and that that moment is really great because Tony doesn't hug people. So again, Marcus and McFeely know a couple things. What do they know? They know that Tony was the mentor of Peter Parker. He had to watch Peter Parker die. Tony Stark is not the kind of person who would give somebody a hug, but in that moment where that character is, is like, I can't believe I get to see this, this uh, person that I mentored again and now i get to interact with them so fantastic stuff uh there's quill and uh gamora reuniting which is which is done really well too but the takeaways uh for screenwriters and for writers and for people who are wanting to produce really good scenes these payoffs are all built on the backs of previous character arcs and important plot points so we need to know where our characters are at, know what they are motivated to do, know what emotions they would feel for what reasons, know what they would do given these scenarios. And then we also need to foreshadow what will happen in the future. So if we go all the way back to some of these previous films, we need to foreshadow things like Steve, you know, trying to pick up Millionaire so that when he does later on, that's just a, a great moment. And we're going to talk about moments in a minute here. The next thing we need to think about is the rising action. Uh, this is the old school storytelling term, the rising action, meaning that things continue to get more and more intense. The stakes continue to get higher and higher. And then there's a payoff at the end, right? So the rising action is important because of what I talked about earlier, and that's raising the stakes. We've seen Steve Rogers get up before, but why does this feel different? Why does this hit us differently? Because we have been storing our emotions up as the audience, in our in regards to what we feel and we think and how we believe about these heroes. And so we believe that Steve Rogers will always get back up, but we've never seen him get back up against a world-ending situation. You know, he stands up to bullies, he stands up to Hydra, he stands up to Tony, he even stands up to the full might of the US government, he stands up to the invasion of New York and all the aliens that are invading New York. But this is Steve Rogers standing up to the Mad Titan who's threatening Earth itself. And we know that he's already, the Mad Titan has already won. Thanos has already won before. So this is a really important part of him getting back up is us knowing that. 
Same thing with lifting millionaire, which I went into in a lot of detail earlier. But note this, Marcus and McFeely and all of the other screenwriters who have written screenplays for the MCU, they did not have millionaire be a part of Cap's arsenal until this moment. That's what makes it even more special. He, we didn't see him lift millionaire uh, in Civil War. We did not see him lift millionaire in Infinity War. We didn't see him lift it in any of the other movies that he appeared in. We didn't see any of the other characters lift it either, only Thor. But Kevin Feige and the screenwriting team waited until this meant something even more profound. And that's why it doesn't feel like fan service, because it is a fan service-y kind of moment. Is a Cap can use Millionaire. That's really cool. But it doesn't feel like, like fan service because it actually has a place in this story. It makes sense. Cap needs Millionaire because he can't fight against Thanos alone. He needs some additional weaponry. And uh, so it makes sense. It's not just fan service, which is why it even works better. So holding on to when are we going to capitalize on these moments and when are we going to have these characters do these things is something that we can take into account when we write our stories and our scripts as well. And I like that a lot. It's like, wait till that moment and be be confident in the story that you're writing and, and how it's going to turn out. The portal scene itself is an act or a plot point to the end of act what we see in like a like a three act sort of situation. And you could argue that you know, Infinity War and Endgame are actually all just one giant film. You could you could make that argument, but regardless, uh, the portal scene it effectively acts as plot point two. Plot point two comes at the end of Act Two, and plot point two is the moment where we know we are headed towards the resolution. So you could argue that plot point two is the moment where. Steve Rogers stands back up and the whole might of Thanos and his army is standing there against him. This is only going to get resolved in one of two ways. The other team, Team B, is going to be successful at bringing back the heroes via the portals or they're not and it's over. <laughs> so this is this is leading towards the resolution of the story and of course the portals start opening up and that takes us into Act 3 where there's a massive conclusion of now it's got to be resolved. Who's going to win this battle? So as a plot point too, it is epic in scale. And it is at the point where the heroes are in the most amount of danger of failure and yet have the best opportunities to succeed. So it's a fantastic plot point too. It works really well there. So I, the only other thing I would bring up is that the rising action, um, I think sometimes rising action, we could interpret that as things keep getting crazier and crazier. And that's true, but one of the things that, um, the, especially the directors, because these moments are not necessarily spelled out in the script. If you go read the script or, you know, I read the script to you, I didn't stop and say, this is a really important moment. Or there was no points in that script where it said, Cap waits a beat before he gets up. They didn't say those things. So the directors, the Rousseau brothers, had to interpret the script and say, this is a moment we need to draw out a little bit more. In other words, it's not just action on action on action. Sometimes it's very subtle action. Sometimes it's very slow action that builds tension in the audience. It builds an anticipation and an anxiety response in the in the audience about what's going to happen next and how is this going to work. And that's part of the rising action. So we can let those moments really, really sink in. So make sure that there's rising action. That's the takeaway that I'm taking away from this. Make sure that there's rising action throughout the uh, throughout the script, if it's multiple scripts like this one is, Endgame, the culmination of 21 films, make sure that that rising action is 
is still taken into account for all 21 films, and that this is going to be one of the most epic moments as we close out this part of the Avengers saga. And then don't let, don't be afraid to let some of those moments breathe and let, let some of those moments hang in the tension because the audience will then hang in the tension and they'll bring more to the table with their emotions, which is what we want as storytellers. Uh, finally, just the, the thing I mentioned earlier in terms of um, moments, you'll notice that in the screenplay, a lot of the portal scene and the scenes that happen around it are made up of epic moments. So it's clear that the directors um, wanted to focus on a bunch of these moments, let them play out. They electrify the audience. They excite the audience. They make us, they, they enthrall us uh, as an audience. And so part of that is making sure that the epic moments are known. And so, you know, this is a team of people who are creating this film who have worked on other projects in the past. And maybe the script doesn't need to spell out the moments because they all get it. They all understand. In fact, it's highly likely that the Rousseau brothers were super involved in the development of this script to the point where Marcus and McFeely probably had a lot of really good ideas, but they're in charge of stewarding the script as opposed to creating the story from scratch. Uh, that's not necessarily true for most of us. If I'm going to sell a, screen, a screenplay to somebody, they're not going to necessarily, they need to understand what the moment is. They need to have a better understanding of what the moment is because I might not be in the room with them. We have produced one uh, short film and I was in the, I was at the locations with the director and the DP and everybody else working on the film. So I could say, this is a really important moment. This is a big deal. I had conversations with the directors beforehand and that's easy enough to do, but on some of these big projects where you're just the writer and you hand it off to somebody else, they have to get the moments right. So how do you write those moments in? So does something excite you? You know, we gotta figure out a way to write that into the script in a visual way that prompts the directors to go, that's a moment. And I don't think we want to spell it out either. Like, this is a big moment. You better make sure it's a big moment. You no, know, we want, just, just like you would write for an audience who's reading a book, right? If you had a one-to-one -one relationship with your audience as opposed to selling it through other people, you still need to make sure that those moments hit. And you can't just say, this is showing, not telling, right? You can't just say, like, this was a big moment. Make sure you capture it. You have to make sure the moment is big in the script. I'm not sure that that's totally true with the Avengers Endgame script, but again, there's such a close relationship to the writers and the directors that it doesn't need to be in the script quite as much. Um, and you'll notice that if you go read the script, you know, they're capitalizing things, they're italicizing things, they're trying to call attention to them um, in visual ways on the script, but also visual ways in the description of what's happening. So build up that suspension around those moments, tease the audience to increase their trepidation, excite them, enthrall them, and um, I think we'll all be on the right track if we're doing that. So now I just have some some questions for you. Uh, you know, we talked about rising action. We talked about understanding where the characters are and their arcs. We started. We talked about creating really impactful moments. We talked about foreshadowing a little bit. So, of all of those things, what are some of the meaningful things that Avengers Endgame has shown to you, as somebody who may be uh, either a writer, a storyteller, or a fan of storytelling? What are some of the things that you loved about that movie in those scenes? Let me know. I would love to know. You can become a member of the How Stories Work Patreon account. Um, I'm going to be retooling that account a little bit. What I want is for us to feel like a community. And so what I want is for you to be able to suggest topics, suggest people that I should go interview, and even have 
uh, questions for them that you can submit to me so that I can ask them really good questions when I meet with them. I'll be talking to other writers. I'll be talking to hopefully producers and directors and all of the above. So uh, you can support me over, support the channel over on Patreon and I will do my best to bring you the best information possible and give those insights back to you in that way. And hopefully at some point in time, I will get to write a scene like the portal scene. You know, 99.99% of writers will probably never write a scene like that that gets produced. But we can all learn from the techniques that Marcus and McFeely used and the Russo brothers used when they created this movie. And hopefully one day we will be able to write those as well. So if you have some questions or comments, or if you want to watch some of the, the scenes and or, or you know read over the, the script, you can check out the YouTube channel. Otherwise, um, hopefully you liked this podcast. Hopefully I'll be able to produce more of them since it is just me, probably not too many of them per year, but I'll try to do as many as I can. In the meantime, thank you for listening. And if you have any more questions for me, let me know in the comments or shoot me an email. We'll see you on the next show.